operation so you hear those noises okay all right I was hoping you didn't hear me breathing during the prayer um practicing my donkey sounds. I've been invited to be Balaam's ass for um, Camp Logos. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes sometimes they just slip out. And um, so, uh, but you know, I didn't even have to audition. <laughs> That's the, uh, my reputation preceded me. So um, that'll be Tuesday night. And um, we won't be here all week, but we'll be here um, tonight, um, tomorrow night and Tuesday. So I hope you can come to um, to that, and we have some some guests, or we have some some of our police um, friends are going to bring their kids. That means that means a lot that, to know that they're going to be coming and hanging out. And it's you know it's a family thing. It's not just for kids. It's for for uh, moms and dads to to hang out. Um, so I hope you can come, especially Tuesday night. Uh, take your Bibles, please. Open them up to James chapter five. James chapter five, verses. 1 through 6. I want you to pay attention to the first two words of this passage in the ESV. Um, You'll hear those words at the end of the sermon, so it's going to be your cue to know um, it's almost time to move to the Lord's Supper. But they are very, very important words in in the life of of any Christian, any anybody. The words, come now. Those are sweet words, and James says those words. This is the second time he said this in um, the last couple of paragraphs. So in light of what we're about to read, um, this is an intense passage here. Um, Don't forget the gospel. Come now. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have battened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever and ever. Got a lot of references up here today. I have to get my stuff ready. Let me ask you a question as we begin. How self-aware are you? If you on a scale of 1 to 10, if 10 was, I'm really aware of myself, um, 10 was the, I'm really self-aware and 1 was hardly aware at all. Where would you consider yourself to be on that, that scale? I got um, three more weeks as a senior pastor at Faith Presbyterian Church, so y'all just let me live in the bliss of self-unawareness. Okay, don't be coming up here and let me uh, know all the things that I don't really want to hear. You know, um, Jesus tells a story of, of self-awareness. That's really the heart of the story when he talks about 
um, two two guys, and um, one of them has a um, piece of dust in his eye. And the other guy's trying to help him out. You remember that story? And uh, the problem is, he says, you can't get the, uh, you want to help this guy out here. You want to get the dust out of his eye, but you've got a plank in your eye. You've got a beam. And, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. And so he knew all about, you know, woodworking and building stuff. And, uh, and the word that he uses for beam there, for plank, is, is used in the, of the, the temple in the Old Testament. And these big honker beams that they would um, use to build um, and you've seen them um, they're they're all over the place and and Jesus of course is using hyperbole but he's he's trying to make us aware of our lack of self-awareness that's what he's doing in this passage and he's telling us through that little par- little quick parable that all of us are log blind um, all of us are are unaware of logs in our eyes it's just part of being a, a sinner and in this section, there's more to this um, than just the, this is the last part of this section that um, we preached the, the first two parts earlier. But this, in this um, section, James, not just this one, James points us to three logs that keep us from self-awareness. That um, you may not even be aware that they're in your eye, right? Uh, three logs that keep us from living in wisdom, um, with wisdom from above. You know, James starts off his book talking about we should learn to live not with worldly wisdom, but world, a wisdom that is from above, from the Lord himself. And the first log that you and I can't see, we struggle seeing, all of us struggle with the log of insecurity, And because, well, you know, I'm not insecure. Are you insecure? I'm not. I tell Kat, you know, eating breakfast with Catherine this morning, I tell her the same thing I do every Sunday I'm going to preach. Are you ready to hear the world's greatest sermon? Um, and I've been doing, that, been doing that 680 times now. So, uh, and of course, you know, they don't always, whatever that is, you know, I'm going to preach a gospel sermon. All right. That's all we got to shoot for, right? That's the freedom of being a preacher. Uh, sometimes, you, sometimes you hit a home run, you know. Maybe three, four times, right, in 20 years. But uh, most of the time you get on base. But, you know, the gospel, the gospel brings you home. The table brings you home. I'm just here to preach the gospel to you. And, and that's really the, the, the confidence that, that um, any preacher has as they come up here. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be the world's greatest sermon all over the world today as people preach the gospel. But because we, we really are, I'm, we're all really insecure people. We don't want to admit it. And because of that, we dominate people in our thoughts. We denigrate people. I'm not like those people at Walmart, right? Right? And y'all laughed last time I said that. But we say that in our hearts. And sometimes we say it out loud. I'm not like those people. And, you know, in Luke 18, Jesus tells that, that parable of, um, and it's just so, so brilliant how God orchestrates through his providence a worship service on the fly. Um, you guys changing the music here, and it just how, it, wow, just goes with what I'm about to say. Luke 18, you remember those two guys? You had the, the publican and the Pharisee? And, um, and the, the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I am not like that robber, robbers or adulterers, or even like that publican. And he points at this guy. Thank you, God, I'm not like him. Wow, great, 
great example of insecurity. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. And he's, he's very judgmental in that, um, in that little pair of the Pharisees. Very judgmental. And, and what, is the, what is the public and what does the, the, uh, the righteous man say? Lord, have mercy. His mercy is more. Okay. It is. It's more. It's more. Every week, God, if you realize He has given you mercy, then that just kind of moves you back from being judgmental and um, denigrating the people and dominating people and that competitive pride that's in all of us. Um, we, we realize we're secure in Christ. But secondly, you know, Grant preached about this, did a wonderful job, but it was so encouraging to me. Um, we are presumptuous people. I'm, I'm the master of my own life. You know, we make plans and set goals, and, and we forget that it is God who is directing every step of our lives, that God governs every creature and every action. He powerfully preserves and governs every creature and every action. And that was such a meaningful, super meaningful um, sermon to me in, in my transition right now. You, most of you know about what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I'm going to do this thing with World Reach. And, uh, and I'm going to go to Columbia in two weeks, two weeks from Tuesday. And the tickets are paid for. Uh, I got my ticket paid for to go back to Kenya in September. Um, you know, all these things are working out. The God's moving and bringing people into my life and um, giving me direction through the body of Christ. Uh, and that's the... But, you know, not everything's working out like I thought it would. And I shouldn't expect it all to work out, right? I'm old enough to know that. But the beauty of this is I don't have to figure it out together. I've got the session. I've got you. I've got brothers in the presbytery helping me, praying for me, and so forth. And so the, the beauty of the body of Christ, listening to God together, uh, that's such a, uh, such a relief for me in this transition. So that was, uh, thank you, Grant, for encouraging me. Um, with that news of the gospel. So all of us are, are judgmental. We tend to being judgmental. We, we suffer from insecurity. Um, and so we've got to remember our securities in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to remember. And that he has loved and accepted us. And all of us battle with control. All of us, that, that log of control. And so we need to realize that we are frail. We are frail. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or this afternoon or next week. We hear that all the time, but we really don't. I mean, Jack didn't realize he was going to be in the hospital taking antibiotics for two weeks, right? He's out on the tennis court. We just don't know what's going to happen to us. But he's trusting the Lord in that situation. He's getting better. And we're praying for him and so forth. Uh, and we need to look to others for decisions that we're making and so forth. And so when we're aware of God's grace and our, his movement in our lives, and when we're aware of how judgmental we are, how self-sufficient we are, what does it do? It leads us to not think too highly of ourselves and to depend on God and to depend on other people. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so those, those two things, um, those are reviews, those, that's a review of, of this, this section that James is talking about. And that brings us to the last log of, of self-unawareness, uh, logs that prevent um, self-awareness. So the, this morning, in that, this hard passage, 1 through 6 of James 5, we're going to see what the log is, 
We're going to see what you need to see and what you need to be aware of, what I need to be aware of in my life. And, you know, I've been aware of it all week as I've thought about this. And we're also going to talk about the gospel answer to this third log. All right, the third log that drives us to self-unawareness and the answer in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you speak to us so clearly in your word. And thank you that you raised up. James, um, the half-brother of our great king, uh, and that's such an encouragement to hear from him who was fully man just like his older brother. But Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're not just fully man, that you can't just, um, don't just relate to who we are as men, you're also God, and you control our lives. You are the good shepherd who watches over your sheep, over your church. And I pray that you would use this time uh, as we speak about your word as we can contemplate it as we come now to reason together that um, you would show us your love and grace and mercy your covenant faithfulness move us to love you more as we realize your great faithfulness to us we pray this in your name amen amen so what is the third log of this passage well it's pretty easy to see you know it's the the log of worldliness that's exactly what James is talking to us about. And as a pastor, he wants us to see this true value of material things. That's, that's his goal. He's talking about wealth and riches. Look at the last part of verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now... You need to pay attention to all of the scripture. It's, it's, it's important to, you know, lots of the great pastors, Puritans in the past especially would preach um, just a passage on two words like come now. You know, that would, that would be it. And uh, you pay attention to the phrases and so forth that are used. And like, like I said, we'll get back to that in just a few minutes. But when, when James talks about the last days, that's an important phrase. To anybody who's read the New Testament and the, the writings of the apostles especially, the last days, the la- what he's talking about isn't some future time right before the end of Christ, a return of Christ, rather the, the, before the end of the world and so forth. And that view is kind of dissipating as I'm old enough to see that... Um, that, that interpretation of those two words, last days, that's kind of dying out of the church, thank goodness. It's really a poor interpretation of... Um, of the return of Christ. But um, the last days, according to the apostles, refers to the new age inaugurated by Christ, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and his sending of the Holy Spirit. That's what the last days is to the apostles. Again, it's the, the, the days inaugurated with the coming of Jesus Christ, his life, death, his ascension, and his sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And when Jesus comes to the world, um, the kingdom of heaven breaks through, has broken through. The king has come. I got a tweet this morning from a couple of pastors um, that um, relate exactly to this. Again, God's sweet providence. Um, we cannot over-understand. We cannot over-believe. We cannot over-rest in. We cannot over-live out the implications of this good news of the gospel. You cannot over-understand it. You cannot over-believe it. You cannot over-rest in or over-live out the implications of the gospel. 
You just can't do it. God's future, the age to come, as my teacher used to say, the glorious age to come, the power of the glorious age to come, has broken into the present age in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The powers of the age to come have broken into this dark world as never before. And Peter makes this clear. Sorry about this. My, my mic is popping on you. Um, Peter makes this clear in his sermon on the first day, on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. He says, with the coming of the Spirit, the coming that marked the beginning of the last days. Prophesied in the Old Testament through the prophet Joel. And Paul puts it this way. Jesus came into the world. This is beautiful. Wow. I need to. This is something. I think, you know, I always say, I need to memorize that and have it on my brain. Jesus came into the world to bring life and immortality through the gospel. Wow. Life and immortality. I'm, I'm about that, aren't you? And that's who Jesus is. He is the immortal God who became man without ceasing to be God. One person, God and man in two natures. And he, will, he will be that way forever in that glorious age to come. And so James is saying that the people, and the, you know, he's talking to Christians here. There's a lot of debate. Well, is he writing to people outside the church? Persecuted? No, I think he's talking to Christians. Um, uh, he's talking, he's saying people are not living, Christians aren't living in light of the fact that Jesus has rescued us from the present evil age. And it's, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But Jesus has rescued us. What does Paul say in his first letter? You know, James is the first letter in the New Testament. Paul's first letter is five years later, four, five or six letters to the Galatians. What does he say? That Jesus has rescued us from this present evil age through his life, death, and resurrection. We have hope. And the kingdom is moving forward, even through us. God is making all things new. But James is saying... That Christians are not living in, in the fact that Jesus has rescued us. And so we hang on to things. We, we hoard things. We treasure. We build treasures here on earth. Things that make us feel secure. And so this is what James, is, his pastoral counseling, a Christian should say. This is what he's saying. A Christian should develop a certain detachment from this world's goods. And we should hold our possessions with an open hand. He's saying what Jesus said. Um, you want to hear really, you know, Jesus, what if he got up that day that he was going to preach the Sermon on the Mount said to his disciples, hey, today you're going to hear the, the greatest sermon in the history of the world, right? He, that really, this really is the greatest sermon. You want to hear some good preaching? Go read Matthew 5 through 7. It's pretty good. Uh, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he talking about? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what he's saying. If you, if, if you have made, if your finances are an idol to you, it just darkens your eyes to where you can't see the world the way it really is. And that darkness will seep down inside of you and erode your heart and keep you from seeing that God is at work in His kingdom. He's talking about money. He's talking about being over-focused on money. He's talking about your heart being in danger if you over-desire Wealth. That's what he's saying. Now, here's a qualification. You always have to pull up both sides of the rope, right? You got tension. That's one side. I'm going to pull back the other side of the tension, okay? Tension tension is everywhere in life and in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Praise God for wealth. Praise God for blessing hard work and the ability to save money, plan for the future, and give um, good gifts to your children and so forth. Like, and, and so forth. But, but again, any good thing, when it becomes an ultimate thing, we say this all the time, when something that is good becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. And so again, James is saying here, this final section of this section, final passage of this section, that worldly wealth is an area of high risk for you and me. It makes us makes it hard for us to walk humbly with our God. Of all the things that we struggle with in our lives, it makes it even harder to walk humbly with our God. And you've heard this a thousand times. You've probably heard a thousand um, sermons on money and, and giving in, in the church. And, um, you know, I tell people very, very, um, it's a stra- I have a strange job. I depend on you for my income. That's strange. You know, I used to depend on junior high people for my income, how your band did. Actually, I worked for the state, so I'm going to get, you know, I'm gonna, I've got a, I had tenure. But, you know, for your, your reputation and so forth, you're putting your hand in the, your life in the hands of junior high kids. That's kind of silly. It's kind of silly for me to put my livelihood in your hands, really. But I believe the gospel, and people who believe the gospel give to the church. That's just the way it is. It's worked for 20 years. How about that? Never missed a paycheck. Praise the Lord, and thank you very much. Uh, but, you know, again, Jesus said, it's, it's hard. You've heard this. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven, the kingdom of God. Right? You've heard that. And you've heard all kinds of gymnastics as they try to exegete that passage and say, well, you know, back in those days, there was, at the wall of Jerusalem, there was this little bitty hole that a camel could get down there and squinch his knees together and he could... No, nah, that's not what he means. He's just saying it, wealth is a hazard to our hearts, all of our hearts. And, and, and here's where I need to qualify again. Some of you are here saying, you know, I don't have to worry about that problem, Pastor. I don't have money. I'm not wealthy. I'm not wealthy. And you know what I'm going to say? All of us struggle finding our security in our bank accounts. Every one of us. Every one of us. It's common to all of us. And here's where we need to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this, give us the spirit. Give us the bread of life in Christ. But it's also give us what we need every day. Lord, help us. 
And thank you for the ability to earn a living. Thank you for the health and strength that I have to, to go to work. Some of you are going to work and you don't, you don't have health. you got health problems. And but God's giving you the strength to go to work. Wow. It's amazing. We thank God for our daily bread. We thank Him for the ability to go to work and make a living. But we also need to realize it matters to God how we spend what we make. It matters. And all of us need to examine. I guess, you know, they used to say, look at your checkbook. This will show you what your priorities are. I guess now you just look at the printout on the screen, right? Because you don't have a checkbook anymore. Any of y'all have checkbooks? Uh, ledgers. So you go. There you go. They're a good thing. Good thing. So, what else does he say? He says something else about money. Um, he wants you to be aware, again, of, of the, the dangers of, of wealth and riches and making storing up treasures in heaven, uh, on earth and so forth. But he also makes us aware of something else that's, that's very important. And it is how we treat those we work with and how we treat those under us in our lives, especially in the workplace. Now, you got to remember, you know this, this is um, the context of this book is a rural economy. Um, in those days, the, the landowners, um, they worried more about profit, uh, profits and margin and so forth than their workers, right? It's just the way it was. It was rampant um, through that economy. Uh, guess what? Nothing new under the sun. We could point to many, many, many examples. Um, you know, you could use this text to um, preach a non-gospel sermon on the on the right on the right extreme views of, of um, politics or the left. Either one, you could make it fit either one of those. Um, this is not about politics, um, but you know, they did have gleaning laws in the Old Testament. Remember, um, the, the folks had to leave some of what they harvested for the poor. Right? And again, I don't want this to be, this is not going to be a sermon. I don't preach about the economy and, and you know, so many things outside of our control. That's not what this is about. This is about the gospel. But here's the application for you and me. Um, the, the economy is only going to be good when Jesus comes back. Right? That's going to be a really good economy. The way things work. And I don't know how all that's going to work, but it's, that's when it's going to be fixed. We're going to, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our government. We should pray for our leaders. We should. We've been blessed as a nation, um, yada, yada, yada. But it's only going to really be fixed when Jesus comes again. But here, here's the, the application for, for you and me. Um, you are responsible to treat people well you work with. Duh. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. And especially if you have people under you. If God has blessed you with the ability to hire other people or be a supervisor of a lot of people and given you the education and the wherewithal to be in that position, then you need to take that position and cherish it and ask for God for wisdom as you lead and supervise other people to treat them the way um, you would want to be treated. And, and I didn't ask, I, I rarely do this, um, um, but I want to tell you this. Because he probably would, I guess, and he's going to say, he won't be mad at me for saying this, but if he's mad, he can get over it. I can ask for forgiveness later. But, uh, you know, some, one of the things that Ship Jones has done for our school. 
you know, we have this ministry of the school. We have increased um, payroll for our teachers significantly since he's been here. That needed to be done. And we hope that as the school continues to grow and, and, and flourish, that we will be able to, to make them even more competitive with... with um, I love public school teachers. I was a public school teacher. That's a ministry in and of itself. I always qualify this when I talk about the school. The school's a great ministry, but God's got his workers all over the place, Christian educators um, in the public schools. But um, we just can't keep up financially paying um, insurance and retirement, things like that. We can't do it over here. So we, we have to... Gym, gym, um, Chip is constantly doing all these gymnastics to bring really good faculty here, but also now to help pay them more. And it's really making our school better. So kudos, praise God for you, Chip. That's a great example, a practical example of great leadership right here uh, in the practical sense of Faith Presbyterian Church. And so here we go. Let's, let's, Let's wind this part up. So when you think about your wealth... Here's what James would, would tell you and me. When I think about my wealth, this is what he's saying to me. This is what the Lord is saying through his word, through James. This is the living, active word of God. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with me about my finances. This isn't just a dead biography we're looking at. This is Jesus Christ speaking to me and you. This is what he's saying. Re-examine your wealth. Look at it. Look, look at what you have. And ask yourself, are you hoarding it for me? Or am I using it, at least part of it, to meet the needs of others? You've got to think like that. Why should you think like that? Does God ever help you? Has God ever helped you? Has God ever given you a blessing? Has God ever taken care of you? And if you, you are, re, re, are re-imaged in the image of Jesus Christ, that's part of being an image bearer of your father and of your king, of your older brother, the, the firstborn of all creation. Wow, we are rulers with him and his kingdom. And part of that means taking care of people and helping them, right? So are you meeting the needs of other people? Secondly, what about uh, re- re-examine the attitude of those that you work with and uh, alongside of you, those who work under you? Do you want to bless the people who serve you? Are, are you thinking about that? R- really? I'm, gonna be, I'm supposed to be blessing you? I can hardly get along with them. There's so much drama here in the workplace, right? What are you talking about? Now, are you praying about how you can bless people? You know, several years ago, Jonathan, we got the news that he was um, type 1 diabetic and um, had to get out of the Navy, and, and he went into the hospital for a week, and Catherine got the news, and boom, she went... She flew to Connecticut, and but by the time you know she got that news um, when she was at work or the day I don't know all the sequence, but but she left um, Stringfellow with a big bags of money. That's what they do at, at, in her department. They 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 gave her money to for plane tickets and just to help. I mean, just that's just what they do up there. There's there's a there's an atmosphere. They pray for one another up there. They stop and it's really a really sweet sweet thing. To hear the stories of, of that department. Uh, so do you want to bless those who 
serve with you or serve under you, right? You know, the policeman, another illustration, you know, what's the, what's the motto for any police department? To protect and to serve, right? The policemen serve us all the time. When I go early morning shift, um, I'm bumping into the guys that are coming off night shift. And I say, thank you for staying up all night so I don't have to. You know, these guys stay up all night riding around in cars. Checking your neighborhood, checking your zone. They, they work hard. And when I serve them, when we serve them, when we bring them donuts, when we bring them chicken, you know, at first they were like, what is this guy doing? But three years later, they're saying, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Thank you so much. I mean, to a man, every one of them goes out of their way to show appreciation. They're very grateful for our ministry um, that's going on there. So last... Um, Check your vision. Are you aware of your insecurities? Are you aware of your judgmental tendencies? Am I aware of my judgmental tendencies and my insecurities? Um, am I aware of my desire to be in control? Is, and, and am I aware that I am making treasures on earth? So um, am, I, am I just aware of those things? Those are big logs. They're big beams that we can just not see. And we need to have the Word of God pointed out to us. And so, here's the gospel. That's the solution. What's the solution to insecurity? What's the solution to wanting to be in control? What's the the solution to your tendency, my tendency towards worldliness? What is it? What is the gospel? Here's another way to think about it. There's two questions you need to ask yourself every day that will drive you to true self-awareness. Here they are. They're gospel questions. And Grant prayed about it. Um, it's because it's the same gospel you hear all the time. What's the question? Who am I? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You are a child of God. You have been given the kingdom of God. You have eternal, been given the gift of eternal life with Jesus Christ and his people. And you have his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit right now in this present evil age. The glorious age to come has broken into the darkness of this world through the weakness that we live in. And we've got a lot of examples of weakness in the past year in our church. And I've seen God just, wow, that's really powerful. Doesn't look so powerful until you look again. But God's grace is perfected in weakness. And we have seen it over and over and over again. Yeah, you know, if you believe the gospel, Jesus lived in your place. He died in your place. He was raised for your justification, as Paul says. You have the Holy Spirit. God has promised to provide you for everything that you need for a life of godliness in the kingdom. When you believe those things, it helps you see the way the world really is. It helps you see the way you really are. It helps you see you need Jesus every day. Secondly, what's, what is your life? That's a question that's 
this right here in this passage, in James 4, in this section, not in this passage, but in James chapter 4, verse 14, James asks this very sweet question as he segues into this very, very hard section about worldliness. He, he says, what is your life? Who are you? Who are you? And what is your life? What is your life? Those are deep questions. They're very, very important. But they're sweet questions. And all of us need to answer it. Because all of us reign with Jesus right now. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a holy nation and the church. And listen, listen, wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes. The kingdom of God is, is within you. But it comes and flows out of you as you love God and as you love your neighbors yourself. And so, what is your life? It's about the kingdom. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. Your life is valuable to God. You take the kingdom to work with you tomorrow. Some of you get up very early and go to work in the morning. And you're taking the kingdom of God with you to work tomorrow. That's what your life is. What is your life? It's, the, it's about the kingdom of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit through you wherever you are. And lastly, you know, your, your life is also about community. It's about community. That's why it's so important to be in corporate worship. Uh, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of sons and daughters. It's not just you and Jesus or me and Jesus, right? And so as you go out into the world and as you are made aware of the needs of those around you, help people. You know that. We just talked about it. And a lot of you do that. And most of you don't ever, no, most of you don't talk about that. But, you know, in conversations I've had over 20 years, y'all help a lot of people. And you invest in people all the time. That's because you know Jesus loves you. But, you know, sometimes the helping is just too big for you to handle on your own. Like the police thing, I couldn't do that on my own. I need Grant, I need you to pray. I need your finances to, you know, to buy biscuits and give gift cards when they have a baby, things like that. We do, do several things like that. So what are, you, what are you going to do as you're aware of a big need? But what do you need? To, you come to your brothers. You come to the deacons. And you say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? And right now, I'm just as, by way of encouragement, we have been made aware of a pretty significant need. And the deacons are aware of it. And our church is going to help um, this person in a significant way over the next few months. And we like to help people, don't we? Why? Because God likes to help us. He is the helper. You know that um, Eve is the helpmeet of Adam. You've heard that. Same words used of God. He is a helpmeet. He's a helper of his people. And so James says, if you're going to live by wisdom from above, rather than earthly wisdom, you know, earthly wisdom leads to insecurity, and you're a control freak, and you're, you hoard your money. Uh, instead, James says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And remember that Jesus is your ultimate treasure. And even now, you can have 
the life that is truly life, the life of the glorious age to come, because he has come into your life. And Jesus comes to you, and he doesn't, you know, his question is, you aren't, come on, who do you think you are? Who are you? He asks you, who are you? And he doesn't come to you and say, come on, get a life. He says, what is your life? Your life is tied up in me. I am your life. I am your treasure. And you are my treasure. So come to this table. Be reminded of the love of Christ for you. Let that love constrain you to love him more and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray.